This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David as well as Ben Moore of panthertalk.com and 247 Sports. We've got breaking news just now as of the recording of this podcast. Panthers forward Jaheim Hudson has entered the transfer portal, uh, first reported by Greenlight Media. He averaged 10 points per game and 7 rebounds as a sophomore and he was a two-time state champion at Wheeler High School. He's the sixth scholarship player to leave the program this offseason. Gentlemen, first of all, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. This is not exactly what we wanted to be talking about this week, but uh, here we are. How you doing? Hey, great, man. Appreciate y'all having me, and uh, always good to catch up. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a newsy day for for a change where we're not looking back weeks and weeks. We're looking back literally minutes uh, to to talk about this stuff. So yeah, excited excited to be here. Yeah, we had you on because originally we were going to talk about just kind of the entire transfer picture as we've got things now. And we're still going to get to that probably after the Hudson news. We go through that because we have individually as the commits have come in, kind of been like, here's this guy, what he's done. But I I thought it was worthwhile to take a bigger picture, look at everything that's come in. But obviously now that's kind of reshaped again, because the one guy you'd look at, especially offensively going into this next season on the roster down low that you really were going to rely on to average double digits, be an offensive weapon leaves. And so this was the first one that was kind of surprising to me. The other transfers out, uh, not really that surprising. And I think a case of maybe just there wasn't the best fit. This was obviously a guy who fit well enough to score 10 points this past year. And I think you could have projected a little bit more because I think he would have maybe gotten a little bit more attention. Now you've got to look elsewhere. You got to get back to the portal and replace a guy that, you know, this is the first double digit score from this last team that you're losing. Yeah, it's a great point. I think it's the first first guy. It's always tough too with with a new coaching staff as well, right? You have guys that weren't necessarily recruited for this scheme, weren't really re- recruited by this coaching staff. Um, so you have kind of that relationship being built over a short time. Then obviously you have, you know, arguably the worst worst season in basically 15 years in the program um very very difficult um but I, but no i i you know i i know um uh, jaheem was going to play a pivotal role in this team uh whether he was going to be starter again whether he wasn't we, I, we really saw him kind of take those next steps from freshman to sophomore as you mentioned averaging 10.7 boards um you know having i was just really impressed with the kids offensive polish you know was the kind of the ability to, to kind of step out 18 to 20 feet shoot jump shots as well as you know being able to kind of take the ball to the basket put his head down as well as you know kind of be a little bit undersized post there um, we've seen that that position specifically succeed in the Sun Belt, and I thought he was, you know, definitely a you know a good fit uh, for what Jonas Hayes wants to do. But you know, he's taking another opportunity, and and uh, grand scheme of things, as we know in in, in this transfer portal age, um, you get an opportunity to open up another scholarship, and and there will be more than enough interest. I can assure you that. Yeah, and David, it's, your yeah. thoughts on it? Yeah, it's it's fascinating because I agree. I, I really didn't think that this was going to be one of the guys who left this year. Um, and you know, I, we have been saying all off season, like I was, un- I was under the impression that just with the transfers that they were getting in this year, that they were really kind of focusing on having a better stable of backup bigs, but they really wanted to just have a, you know, the offense is going to run through Duan. It's going to run through Jaheim, you know, that'll be the interplay. And they wanted to surround that with shooting. You know, you see, 
the guys that they've brought in and just, you know, that's just kind of the expectation because that was the biggest deficiency for this past season. Um, and now, you know, you can't necessarily knock the plan, obviously. Obviously, they got that long, the Longwood big and, you know, they're hoping for Namoko to take a step forward. But I think the, you know, the way that they approached the transfer portal this offseason was really that, you know, yeah, there might be some, you know, two big sets that they're going to run, but we're going to shoot and we're going to have, you know, a really nice big presence. Like Ben said, like J- Jaheim is an all Sunbelt caliber player, you know, like that I... Obviously, it's hard to necessarily recruit that in one offseason, but, you know, he's entering, he would have, he would have been entering year three, you know, at Georgia State. And, you know, there, there easily could have been some projection to him improving. Um, So this is certainly a surprise, but, you know, I think the, the silver lining that you can say is you definitely can tell that this coaching staff has been trying to improve this team. Um, and, you know, I think there are some teams in the Sun Belt, not to, you know, take the low hanging fruit, but there are some teams in the Sun Belt who have had struggles, who don't try to improve in the ways that I think that Georgia State has tried to improve this offseason. Are they going to work? You know, we don't know. We're taking guys' stats from, you know, they're th- we're talking about three point percentages from other conferences and schools and stuff like that. But you can clearly see that. Coach Hayes has identified, okay, here's the things that we didn't do last year, and here's the things that we're going to do. So, you know, in two weeks or three weeks, a month, whenever we talk about who the replacement big is going to be, it's probably going to be somebody who's coming over just like Jaheim was, you know. And I'm I'm not – I don't want to put lofty expectations on that player, obviously, but it's it's probably going to be fine. No, I I agree. Yep. No, go ahead, Brady. I'm sorry. It it definitely threw a spanner in the works, I'm sure, but I guess – while saying that I think the same things you do, that I feel like Jaheim could have been due for a step, I think if you want to argue the other side of it, I don't think that there's any single player that's irreplaceable on a team that won 10 games. Like, you just have to be frank about it and say, I think this is a loss. I think it's also just an opportunity cost in that I think he could have been better in years three and four. Uh, but I don't know that it's like a panic button mode because I feel like the rock bottom already happened. Like, and I like David is right that there were some roster moves maybe built around him being there, but there's still a thousand guys in the portal. And I might not be exaggerating there, whatever the number actually is, there's a lot of guys still available. So inconvenient as this timing might seem after they'd kind of done a lot of the roster work, there's still plenty of guys that are going to be able to come in and, you know, whoever the staff wants to bring in they're not going to be lacking for choice. Yeah. And I, and I think that the biggest thing, and, and David, you hit it. I mean, it, um, I think the staff knew the deficiencies from last year. They had a little bit of insight, basically, obviously with Jarvis Hayes being here the previous years and kind of giving a rundown of what the personnel can do and can't do. Um, you know, you, you, every single addition I think so far has addressed major deficiencies that we saw. You had three-point shooting. This team was one of the worst shooting teams in the country, um, one of the worst shooting teams from three-point range in the nation as well. They've addressed that over and over and over again with at least four guys that can shoot the basketball. Um, you know, they, I think, also learned a little bit of a lesson and didn't want to put Namoko in, in the situation and bringing in DK Manuel. They don't want to put that kind of pressure on him as well. So team him with Leslie, you know, where it's going to be a situation where you have a big guy who can kind of teach the young guys a little bit of the ropes. I mean, that's the, the impressive part about it. And, you know, we, we you know, you're, 
folks that probably haven't watched the Longwood Lancers, and I don't blame you if you missed them out, but they've been a really, really good mid-major program, and he was a key contributor to that. Um, he walks in, I think, 110 career games already played, which is by far uh, you know, the most on the roster. A guy that has been in the NCAA tournament, a guy that's been in a 20-win season uh, multiple years, um, you know, and a level of toughness. I talked to his former AAU coach, um, see kid, of course, prepped here in, in the Atlanta area at Discovery High School, and they just said the, the kid's a winner. The kid plays really, really tough. He said, and just knowing the Georgia State program a little bit, he he's kind of an energy guy, so he's not like a stat stuffer. He's not going to be a guy that's, you know, 15 and 10 necessarily, but with the opportunity. I mean, people forget Eliel semi. I mean, he was what, at Cincinnati, maybe a 4.3 rebound kind of guy came in here and he was a dominant all sun belt level guy. So I, I do I expect that level of transition? I don't um, just because there's other guys that can carry that load potentially. But you added shooting, you add toughness in, in Leslie as well as Tanari Lane, um, a guy that I don't think people enough because, again, you're not watching Winthrop basketball for the most part. But he's 6'5", and he's 225 pounds. He can you know defend multiple positions. He can shoot threes as well, has a little bit, um, you know, you know, a little unconventional shot. Um, but again, d- dude hit 83s. You know, you have Julian Mackey coming in from the JUCO ranks. I still to this day, and I've asked almost every single recruiting analyst, why is this kid not blown up bigger? Uh, JUCO, All American, um, a guy that way. And basically, the overarching piece is the overall sentiment from college coaches so far is high school, portal, and that's it. And, oh, yeah, JUCO's over here in case we need somebody. You know, like, so, so it, it's very difficult to kind of pinpoint exactly why he slipped through the cracks, but he's a huge, he's a big-time player, and I think he's going to have an impact right away when he arrives on campus. Yeah, and, you know, to Brady's point specifically, like, obviously it's a departure, it's a it's a loss, but, you know, we're talking about a 10-21 and 21 team that I think can it is better that they have addressed, we think, that they have addressed some of the deficiencies last year than they have an all sun belt big like and you know does that necessarily mean that this is a tournament caliber team probably not you know what i mean like yes it would be helpful if they still have that type of player obviously but they're, they're improving you know if they win 10 more games next year. That's still a huge improvement on what it was this year, even if it's not still the level of Georgia State basketball that it's been in years past. You know, like, I, I don't know that we're going to get a, a worse to first type year like a Marshall or, you know, whomever, but the, you can clearly see where they're going with what they have, the guys that they've recruited, the types of bigs that they've recruited. So, you know, it. I think it'll still be fine. Yeah, and, and you mentioned all the shooting and just what the new guys add. And I think collectively the thing that I take away when I look at just the roster in the round is I don't really know how the starts, the minutes are going to shake up necessarily. Like I think just in our head because you're bringing in these new guys that you're excited about, you're thinking like, all right, so maybe this is going to slide Jermaine or Brendan or both to the bench, but it might be they keep their starting spots. I just think you have more options. And I think that like especially with what you're talking about with energy, you're bringing in a guy like, Leslie, who brings that, you're bringing in some more guys that have played a lot of basketball. You know, Lane's a guy that obviously was recruited by Pat Kelsey, who's now at Charleston and going off there at Charleston. So not a bad coach to go after is like the guys that he was looking to recruit because he's obviously got an eye for the thing. And I just think 
they're in a better place to where, you know, some of it was injuries last year, but you know, the reason ultimately I think that Coach Hayes tightened the rotation so much in the middle of the year and it worked out, it was kind of the best five he could play. It was like the only five he could really consistently trust to have solid, you know, rotations together. And I think the one thing you can say is he's going to have more options this year, especially the backcourt combinations to where he can run out, you know, six different guys in the backcourt. We haven't talked about the freshmen coming in. I mean, I think that's probably good because they can be good players, but they don't Mm -hmm. have to come in with the expectation of like, you're going to be stars. You know, DK and Ferguson can both, you know, work their way into the rotation if they can be that guy right on campus or take a slow path. And it's not really going to affect the, the season for the, the team as a whole. It is. And, and you know, Ferguson State champ, Championship winner there, Grovetown uh, as a junior, really, really solid. Another put together guard. I think I think that's the one thing that I've seen overall from, you know, kind of the incoming group is just the physicality overall. These guys are really, really physical. Uh, especially at the guard and the forward position. Obviously, DK is going to have to gain some weight, but I, I'm just excited to see that dude. He's seven foot one, shooting threes. Uh, I follow him on social media and seeing some of his open runs in the gym, literally lining up from 25, 26, 27 feet and just drilling threes is just beyond my comprehension um, because I'm just th- thinking about um, how do you guard that dude? I mean, as a high school player, like how does that work exactly? Uh, I'm going to give him some space. He's going to shoot a three. He's going to take me in the post, and I'm not 7-1. So um, it's going to be exciting to see that. But, no, I, I think Ferguson a guy who could come in and be that, you know, guy off the bench potentially. Um, you know, there was there was guys that we have seen in the last three, four, five years uh, in this program who have been that, you know, like even I'm thinking like even like a Damon Wilson where, hey, he wasn't so good as a starter, but a guy come in there against, you know, either a second, be a lead second unit guy, um, you know, or, or have an opportunity basically to, when guys are a little bit winded, you know, to kind of take that role and, and kind of go in there and punch for six, eight, eight minutes at a time. Um, but he's a spectacular athlete. Uh, plus shooter, very, very good defender. Um, that's the one big thing that I keep hearing as well. A lot of these guys, again, are plus defenders, um, which this team was good, despite as we as Brady and David and we, and we Jordan, we talked all season. As bad as this team was offensively, the defensive metrics were still pretty solid. And Jonas is continuing to add more and more defensive guys, guys that are you know going to be physical and steal, uh, you know, and, and rebound. So um, that's going to be excited to see how it how it molds. And, and I think you legitimately could have nine or ten guys um, that are going to play without really putting a ton of, fr- of pressure on the freshmen too. And having said that. There's still, with Jaheim's departure, three scholarships to be used, and so it's going to be interesting to see how those get divvied out. No doubt. No doubt. Back, backup point guard still definitely a priority. Uh, Ricky Bradley Jr., of course, visited a couple weeks ago. He's still going to take his time in a couple more weeks to make a decision. Uh, I'm talking to him uh, on Monday night. He said basically he's going to make a decision public uh, on the on the 30th of April. So, um, you know, I think George State's in a good spot for him. Uh, he'd have an opportunity, I think, to play here for sure. And as we saw with, you know, Dewan kind of, you know, his knee issues and 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 really, you know, kind of slowed him down. I think he would probably be a little bit better, you know, playing maybe 30 minutes a game, 32 minutes a game, not going 36, 38. So um, if you can find some spots in there and, 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 and honestly, a credit to Bradley, um, you know, he's a six, three guard as well. 
Uh, he's a guy that could play alongside Duan potentially. You know, good good enough shooter from three, average ten points a game. Um, you know, nearly ten points a game as a freshman. So uh, there's a lot of options. You know, as, as you said, uh, I don't have the numbers right in front of me either, Brady. But I, yeah, I would not be shocked if there's 800 plus guys in the portal. But right now, no, yeah, of course they had to wait until you know the national championship was over, and you know they wanted to see what high school kids were going to supplant them and. You know, the, the portal is just a mess. It's always going to be a mess until something happens. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Obviously, I think we'd pencil in one. It, you know, if, if you're counting back backup point guard as a spot that's maybe going to be looked at with one of the scholarships, at this point, one of the two is definitely going to be someone to replace Jaheim. I feel like just based on who they brought in, it's possible that if they use both of them to cycle, both of them are going to be for front court guys. And I guess, you know, you look at DK coming in as a freshman and with Ed Namoko, I don't know that you necessarily look to get another project, but at the same time, there's only so many minutes that are going to go around. So I feel like they could, because of all the guys they brought in, if they want to bring in a guy maybe a little bit further down the line, possibility there or possibility to maybe take two stabs at it and be like, all right, see if this guy and this guy, uh, one of them can come in and kind of take that starting forward spot that we kind of had. Jaheim penciled in for so this yeah, is and probably, honestly, I mean just yeah, yeah. And, and just to I mean just some tips I mean you got a couple of Jonas's foreign players at Xavier in, in the transfer portal as well they're, they're an option um, there's a lot of guys obviously with Atlanta ties as well um, there's a couple guys you know Trent Marketh is, is doing a great job kind of lining up all the guys from Georgia uh, and where had they have landed as well so he's kind of keeping a tracker he's definitely a good follow uh, on Twitter as well, and and, uh, and I'll retweet some stuff uh, from him as he's kind of trying to navigate through, you know, some of the guys obviously covering uh, preps, you know, prep basketball here in the state of Georgia. Um, you know, Jonas has said it multiple times. He wants to, you know, keep keep as much as he can, basically keep this roster, you know, very much Metro Atlanta and, and, and Georgia heavy. And of course, not the only sport, and not the only sport with some movement the wrong way, we should say this week, because. Uh, uh, it broke, uh, I don't remember what day it was, Monday maybe, Luis Cristobal, who was the left guard for much of the 2022 season for Georgia State football, enters the portal. Um, I guess none of us really saw this one coming either. I, In the scheme of things, I think it hurts because it's a guy who obviously was starting last year, maybe was going to be the start of this year. Maybe not as seismic as Jaheim, but at the same time with his inconsistent as the offensive line was and that leading to some of the downfalls and some of the games that they lost. I feel like losing someone you may be looking at as a starter is certainly a big hit for what's going to be an important season in 2023. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and this certainly wasn't expected. Uh, if he wasn't going to be the starter again, uh, basically at guard, knowing, you know, there's some interior offensive linemen on the way and guys are uh, finishing up their school. You're going to have a burst of, of new players from, high school as well as some of the transfers coming in um, on, on the list uh, here in the next few weeks. But um, it's, you know, it's a tough loss a guy that has been in the program multiple years too. So you kind of have gone through it. You've gone through, um, you, know, you know, we know how impactful, you know, Sean Elliott is with his offensive line. He's in the meetings with the offensive linemen um, there and, and kind of 
developing that group and kind of working, you know, specifically uh, with that group and, and kind of keeping an eye on it with specific intention. So um, you, you are going to have another offensive lineman that's going to need to need to come on. Um, you know, I, I posted on the boards, I think, uh, either yesterday or the day before as well, Torian Stafford, um, the Alabama State graduate transfer is no longer committed. He's not coming either. So you lose two guys potentially uh, on the offensive line, which, as you mentioned, has been a consistent or an inconsistent um uh situation in 2022 so there are guys available um and i'll break it here on 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 the pod just because uh why not um, i was going to put it out there either later tonight or tomorrow morning but um you you have a mississippi state uh transfer um and uh, he is uh, by the name of jackson cannon who's from mcdonough out of Ola High School, will be taking official visit the first week of May. So uh, he will be on campus uh, and, and could be a potential, um, you know, replacement for Cristobal or Stafford or both. Or, you know, there's going to be some shuffling. Uh, we have seen and heard that Sean likes to cross-train guys, you know, likes to basically have guys that can have the ability, if you know, play all three of the interior positions, play either left tackle or right tackle, as we've seen with Travis Glover, moving him from left to right. And I think he's probably going to move back to left. Um uh, th- this uh, this fall, so um, you know a name there. You've got obviously another scholarship available there as well. I think the total. Uh, I got to go back and check my math, but I think they're either at three or four. So you have needs there. Um, you know, I think you could probably take another defensive back uh, as well as uh, D Ford. You know, committed to Arizona State um, last week. So um, you know, this there's there's still you know, needs, there's still wants. And uh, to me, as I was told years and years ago, when I started, you know, you know, kind of getting in recruiting was uh, you can never have enough linemen ever on the offensive or defensive line. Um, you love to have as many scholarship guys there as possible and, and uh, try to take walk-ons and tournament scholarship guys, even if you need to. You know, I guess I'll ask um, just, and just kind of open it up for a broader discussion. Um, where do you think this kind of leaves the Georgia State team? Um, I mean, you can pick either side of the ball, honestly, but I guess we could focus offense. Um, just kind of as it relates to last year versus this year, or just where you think that they, you know, improvements or where you think their strengths and weaknesses will be. Well, you haven't talked in a while, so if you want to answer your own question, I'll tee you up <laughs> and say, David, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can take it first, I suppose. Um, which, you know, I can give a, I guess I can give a cop-out answer and say that I don't really know. Um, you know, I, I think the line will be better, I, you know, based on the recruits that they have brought in and just kind of the, you know, we talk about it with basketball and three-point shooting. I think last year the offensive line just really struggled um, from a health perspective. Um, and, you know, Cristobal is tough because, you know, it's not that he wasn't serviceable or good, but, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, somebody just beat him out in camp. Um, And that is at least how I am taking it. Obviously, you know, can't go to the spring game and, you know, haven't been able to see. Um, But, you know, it it wouldn't shock me if, you know, they just who they've gotten this year just, you know, ended up being better. Um, And I, I guess at the end of the day, for the offense specifically, that's been something that we, you know, it, it's been very hit or miss. Like, you know, when the offense is bad the last few years in, in games, when the offense has been bad, a lot of it has been, you know, miscommunication between Darren and the receivers or just bad offensive line play. And, you know, last year, like, yes, they obviously led the Sun Belt in 
you know, rushing yards, which is great. But, you know, as Brady said, there were some times where you really felt like they should have had some more meat on the bone, you know, and, you know, like, you know, he was a lineman, like he, like that is his baby. And so if there's one unit, I expect an immediate flip, it's going to be on the offensive line. So, you know, while I'm not necessarily worried about that, I just, I think, you know, the loss of some of the skill position guys around the offensive line, you know, I don't, I don't know what the ceiling of this offense really can be, you know, until, until we see it in those first few weeks and, you know, we get closer to the season, you know, Darren could be great. And, you know, the, you know, you could have Adams, you know, be the starting running back and, you know, be amazing but i just i don't know where the ceiling for it can be today and i I think it does give me some pause honestly yeah i mean i don't think that it's a cop-out answer because it's also basically what i was going to say and i i I don't know that ben's answer will be that different either when he answers just because there was so much change and it's basically going to come to like did the guys you brought in to replace the guys you lost, do they come in and have an impact? And are they able to meet or exceed that level? Because I don't think last year's team, it was frustratingly mediocre because in-game situations, they, especially in the second half of games, you know, they had lead in seven of the eight games. They couldn't find a way to put that, you know, full 60 minutes together. So you, you lost some pretty key parts of that team, but you went out and targeted at each of the positions. Like this is who we're bringing to replace this. And so we're not going to know until the fall, until they go up against other teams, kind of how it shakes out, but that's going to determine where this team is at. And also, you know, it's it, the way that also works is that, you know, when you're looking at like Bill Connolly and SP plus on ESPN, like Georgia state along with old dominion, like I think considerably lower than anyone else in the Seminole East and like, Spoiler alert, Georgia State will be picked second to last or last in the East uh, when Media Days comes around just because they're, everyone is in the same boat with this team where there's nothing you can really project from them. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be that bad, but it means that there's not going to be the dark horse expectations or the front runner expectations that there were on this team the last two seasons where they got off to some slow starts. And maybe that's for the best. And maybe it's a team that's like, we've all, we, we're all we got. And no one else believes in us. And that stuff is like coaches love that type of motivation to go off of. And if the talent can match it might be a spot. And and whenever there's expectations again, Georgia state is going to have to navigate that again, where it's like, all right, you're expected of good things again. You've got to meet those expectations. But for now they are in a, the other spot where you know expectations have disappeared again. And now that can be a cozy thing. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, as, as as much as a year ago we were talking dark horse and all the preseason love, and um, which I, you know, we, we, I said it almost felt uncomfortable, right? You're looking at it, and you're going, this team does have expectations because of the way it had finished the previous two seasons, but you're looking at it, and you're going, but there's still really, really good teams in this league, and you saw you know, what was coming potentially. And, and of course, I, you know, wasn't necessarily going to predict James Madison was going to do what they were going to do, but you thought, Hey, new coaching staff, basically, um, you know, down, down in Statesboro, at least competent coordinators and competent assistant coaches, which, you know, they were bound to improve. 
at least on one side of the ball in 2021 defense was still terrible. Um, but they, you know, you, you, you thought, Hey, all right, app state's still a standard. You still know Marshall's been solid. You know, the, the amount of strength that was coming into the league with still unknowns in the West as well, you thought, okay, this team could get back to a bowl. They've got a lot of experience. And unfortunately, some of those experiences, you know, you guys have talked about it, either through injury or ineffective play or, or just a combination of different things, um, just didn't play well. And now just I mean, this this roster, if you just look up and down, I mean, I went looking about a week and a half ago at some of the depth charts, basically, from the second half of the season, you know, week six, seven, all the way through. I mean, you have guys, you'll have big-time shakeups in all three levels of the defense. Defensive line will look different. Linebackers will look different. Your secondary is going to look completely different. Um, you know, who's who's stepping forward for Ant Lane? Who's stepping forward, you know, for, for guys, you know, again, uh, you know, on the defensive line? Like, we, we don't know these individuals. We don't know who's going to be there. I feel pretty confident about Kevin Swint. I've heard great things about um, his ability in the spring, and basically he was just different. John Trey Hunter, as we talked before, we you know got got on and started recording here. You know, he's he's up in the neighborhood of 240 pounds playing linebacker now. Um, that that'll play. That that'll certainly play in the league as we saw. You know, Jamil Muhammad beef up. You know, one one season to the next, um, and then go. But you know, who's going to be the pass rusher and play? Is that going to be Swint? Is that going to be somebody else? Um, and also just a ton of FCS guys, which I know has has kind of ruffled some feathers, of course, on our, within our fan base, but. Um, we've also seen guys who have gone from FCS to FBS and had an impact. Um, I'm super interested to see a guy like Jakari Carter, you know, seeing what he did in spring, you know, how does that translate over the course of the season? He's an elite route runner. Um, and, you know, he's not a guy that I think is a 4-4-4-3 like burner. Um, or, otherwise, he wouldn't have started his career at the FCS level. We would have seen him somewhere else. But from his size and ability, We've seen guys at this level, you know, being able to be supreme route runners and guys that know how to get open and work really in between, you know, zone defenses, which a lot of teams in the league play. Um, he can get loose. It's up now to me, it's up to Darren to really evolve that next step as a passer um, and kind of be able to hit guys. And you're going to see guys, you know, I think, you know, take the next step forward. Guys like Robert Lewis, he can slide right in that Jamari Thrash role. He is an elite you know, speed guy can absolutely fly. Um, you know, I'm interested to see what the tight end group and tight end room looks like. They were so young with Aubrey Payne, you know, you know, basically getting injured and I think playing a total of nine snaps last year. You know, what can that tight end group look like in another year with Chris Bird and Amon Green, you know, those guys stepping forward? I think I, I feel as, as much as we still don't know about the offensive line, um, I still I'm probably a little bit more confident about the offense than the defense, but I'm with you guys. I mean, there's still a lot of unknowns. This still was a very good offense um, in 2021 uh, and in 2022. I expect the same thing in 2023. And you, you said it best, David. Sean Elliott's teams are going to run the ball. This team is going to run the ball 35, 40 times. They're going to run it down your throat. And here comes Darren Granger. As much as he scares me to no end because I think he's like 190 pounds dripping wet. He still will take off and he will go. Like we saw it a couple of times last year where he would literally take the ball and go 60 yards. And he's a long strider. So it's not like he's, he looks like he's running super fast, but it's just like, hey, there's nobody running as fast as that dude. He just keeps going. I, I honestly, you know, we'll wrap this up a little bit, but I'm, I'm really glad that you name dropped Jakari Carter, you know, because it's, 
you can see what some some of the guys at who transferred in did at other places, and you can kind of you can map out a little bit like okay, if they do this, it's a lot easier to project. You know, offensive players, especially skill position players, you can't really project individual defenses like that just because the nature of defenses it's so much more all right you know we're facing this line and this team and this pass rusher was over here and you know this other guy on my team was getting double teamed so you know i was able to do stuff we don't really know what the defense is going to look like it's probably going to be pretty similar but it's a new difference new as of course you're going to have different pressure rates you're going to have different you know different scheme setups you're going to you know that was the one thing that i complained the most about nate fuqua's defense is from a secondary point of view they just didn't vary the coverages a lot you you had basically cover two cover three cover four and that was really it where the previous dc jesse minner he sent pressure from all over he had zone blitzes have different things that way now i will say to fuqua's credit he generated a ton of pressure in, in his front seven. They didn't always get home to the quarterback, but they were in the backfield. You had a ton of tackle, tackles for loss. You set sack records multiple seasons. You had, you know, from a defensive metrics point of view from a front seven, there was guys being super disruptive, and that was kind of the name of the game. And other Sunbelt offensive coordinators had to deal with it. They, they knew, hey, look, I can't just, you know, line up and do a bunch of five-step, seven-step drops and – you know, you saw it in the games where, you know, I think the Charlotte one specifically. Credit to Charlotte's coaching staff. They didn't let their quarterback honestly take a probably more than a three or five step drop all night. Just get the ball out quick because we know we don't have a line to basically shut these guys down. And they did it. And credit to them and, and turnovers and everything else. But um, yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of question marks, obviously, that will need to be ironed out in fall practice. But, um, you know, I think this is the exciting part about it is you have some players this, you know, that, that as I mentioned a little bit earlier, who, who may arrive, um, you know, look, looking at guys like like Rico Arnold, wide receiver, um, guy like Nate Norris from Lehigh, or his, his teammate Tyje Leach, you know, he could be a starting safety. You know, Nate Norris is a guy who's played five years of college football at linebacker, 240 pounds, a tackling machine. That'll play, you know, the guys that can know how to get their nose in there and, and, and cause some problems. And, you know, we, we still need to know, make sure, you know, Blake Carroll is going to be 100% because he's not. You know, he wasn't full go uh, in the spring with that Achilles. I mean, it's one of those injuries too, that limits guys and, and uh, makes things a little bit different, but um, yeah, excited, excited to see, you know, guys show up. Gavin Pringle, another guy, you know, uh, I think he was, he was number one or number two in the FCS and passes broken up. So if you're a cornerback getting your ball, you know, you're handling the ball, getting out in space, um, the technique solid, um, you know, that, that will, that will play too, because we know you're going to have to replace uh, you know, Quay on that side. Bryquise is the only kind of given there at corner, and the rest of the jobs are pretty much open. Well, we know you got to run, and I think we name dropped every just about every signee from this last class. Maybe left out a couple of offensive guys. I know we hit all the defensive guys for sure. Oh, they'll, um, they'll tell me all about it too, because that, that's the funny part about it. These guys listen to the podcast and things like that, and they're like, "Hey, man, you didn't mention me. I'm you know playing really well in practice." So it's just funny. <laughs> ben, thanks for coming on. Um, we'll have you on, obviously at some point to talk about the way the rest of this basketball class shakes out and you know, hopefully maybe not the total ground shaking news every time we're about to have you on, but it was nice, nice for refreshing to have like an emergency pod feel to this. No, no doubt about it. Appreciate y'all having me. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we will, we will certainly have some more news. I'm sure just because the way that portal goes and uh, maybe, maybe the uh, Thursday night uh, NL NIL collective will, will be birthed <laughs> here shortly. We'll see. All right. Get us some podcast sponsors and maybe we'll set one of those up.
Thanks for being here. That's, you got it. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> Thanks so much, ben. All right, let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit and talk about those Buslot boys who won the series against Arkansas State two to one, and then fell at Georgia Tech eight to twenty three on Tuesday evening. But as of recording this podcast, just finished beating Mercer thirteen to three. So pretty good week for the uh, the boys down in Panthersville, gentlemen. What you got? Yeah, bare minimum was winning the series against Arkansas State. A sweep would have been nice, little icing on the cake would have been good, but you had to win it. It was a home series against the team that was last in the conference. And so you drop the middle game, but one on Friday, close it out on Sunday. Back to winning ways in Sunbelt play for the first time in a while since the first series against Troy. Uh, so that's definitely number one on the agenda as far as like that was the biggest thing of this week and mission accomplished for that goes you know with the two midweek games against in-state teams i feel like you'd have taken a split you know losing on the road to georgia tech and if you found a way to win against a good mercer team at home on wednesday that'd probably also be a result i don't know that you would have necessarily asked for a 15 point loss on the tuesday game but honestly because it was the second midweek game, you, you had just pitched a series that I think you probably used the guys that you you know you wanted to close out that win on Sunday. So you were going to use all the guys you could to make sure you won that game. Was not the most available pitching squad on the Tuesday game against Georgia Tech. So you were scraping towards guys that haven't had that much usage. And it was going against an ACC team that's got some real players. And so maybe not all that's unsurprising. But because you were able to turn around on Wednesday at home and beat Mercer, I think, good week. And it's been a team that's been looking for those after the opposite for about a month, where just things have not been going well enough. I don't think you can say too much bad about this week. I don't either. You know, I think you can take what you can get. And the the Georgia Tech game is a little unfortunate. Um you know, and I I was kind of keeping track of it, and they were pretty close. I think they were down like seven to four in you know getting into the late innings, and then you look at the final score, and you're like, oh, that very much so got out of hand for both pitching staffs. Um, but like you said, they used a lot of guys in the Arkansas State series, and you know those games and wins matter a lot more than a midweek out of conference game. Um, so, you know, you kind of take what you can get and you know, I, I like the way that Ryerson's swinging it right now. He had a good weekend and he had a good game against Mercer today. Um, you know, I think he's, he's gotten like seven, about seven hits in his last three, four games, which is, you know, you, you want to see that the, the, we talked about it last week, the bats kind of disappeared a little bit when they played James Madison, um, you know, testament to James Madison's pitching, but you know at least for the weekend series, they kind of came back, seemed a little bit more comfortable. Um, only one game recently where they haven't really been scoring a lot of runs, which is the one game that they lost against Arkansas state. So, you know, you want to see that continue to go forward and, you know, it, it, it does appear that there are some pitchers who, you know, Shramdahl is starting to trust just, just a little bit, you know, baby, baby steps. Right. So if, if that continues going forward, you know, it's going to be a good sign. Yeah, and the first interesting note from the weekend against Arkansas State is that Ryan Watson pitched the Friday game, whereas he had been the Saturday guy. And he actually pitched into the ninth inning against James Madison the previous Saturday. So he wasn't at his crispest in this Friday, and it was actually after some kind of normal games for a stretch of time, after you, know, you had had your kind of blow-up games where you're 
winning 12-11 over Georgia Tech and you're losing 15-14 against Appalachian State at the end of March, you'd kind of gotten back to some normal scores. And then Friday delivered with an 18-3 final score win in favor of the Panthers. Um, just as the baseball fan who just liked random score lines like that, I enjoyed that. But he gave you six innings, he gave up five runs, uh, 98 pitches, and he had thrown a lot the last weekend. And so I think, honestly, given that you were moving him up a day, you'd kind of take that. And I guess it means that he's going to retake that Friday mantle. Um, Joseph Brandon still kind of searching for it again, I think a little bit, although he left things in a okay place when he exited the game on Saturday, but still a guy, I think you, you trust mostly in these weekend outings. Now he's going to be in Saturday, but I don't know whether that's a case of a demotion or a promotion for Watson, but obviously switching up the routines like that's not something that they take lightly because it's a lot for pitchers to, you know, they get set into their, the, the days they're pitching on and what they're doing in between starts. And so certainly there had to be a thought process that it was worth making that switch up. And I think long-term it's what we're going to see the rest of the year. The third guy, Rafael Acosta, again, doing good work. And it's a guy that, as we'd been saying, someone was going to have to join Watson and Brandon. And Acosta has been more than up to the case these last few weeks. And he's really been the most consistent of the weekend starters, which, you know, as we were talking a month ago, he wasn't even really in that conversation as like even starting on the Sundays, it was kind of like, who is going to be that guy? So the journey he's taken from getting the opportunity to pitch on every Sunday to being the best pitcher Georgia State's had the last few weeks, really a testament to what he's been able to do. It really is, you know, and I, I think Cameron Landry was starting earlier in the year, I believe, and he came in relief. I, I think he's like transitioned more so into a relief pitcher now. Um, which, you know, the, the results kind of speak for themselves as to why, but it's it's gotten a little better. And, you know, like that that's all we've wanted to see, right? You know, you want to see where guys land and where guys can find their roles. Because like you said, they are a nature, they are creatures of habit. So finding guys who can do specific things, it just helps the team. That's really all it is. And yeah, I think because of the deficiencies and the struggles we've focused a lot of attention on the pitching i think fairly enough but should take a little time to talk about you mentioned ryerson just he joined uh, luke boynton with double digit home runs for the season because ryerson got his 10th and to win the win tonight over mercer and both of them are joined with dylan strickland who's got 10 as well obviously the bats haven't totally stopped hitting these bombs you know it's what we've gotten accustomed to seeing with the bus lot boys and so a back on track week and now you head you hit the road again you've got three this weekend coming up against south alabama and mobile and then you go to georgia next tuesday in athens so, so like i said with the south alabama series when we were talking about it last week this was your time to hit a reset button in sunbelt play and you know you sit here you're at 500 and 19 and 19 overall you're seven and eight in sunbelt play so Another series win, you'd be back to 500 by the time next weekend's over in Sunbelt play. If you find a way to sweep, you're back above 500. And so if you could get to where you're, you know, even just four and two in these two Sunbelt series with Arkansas State and South Alabama, you're right back there in the middle of the standings and it feels like everything's back on track. And you're talking about another week after this week that you're progressing in the right direction heading towards Montgomery. 
And momentum matters. It absolutely matters. You know, Georgia State is currently behind South Alabama. They could flip that. There are some teams on their schedule coming up that are, I guess, supposedly definitively better than Georgia State. But, you know, it's still a pretty mushy Sunbelt picture just in terms of conference play. You know, Old Dominion currently is two games better than Georgia State, but by the time those two teams play later on in the season, they could have the same record. You know, I I think Georgia Southern is Georgia Southern's only one game ahead of Georgia State. They still have to play again, you know, so nothing is set in stone at this time. And this is the the nice thing about getting late and later into the season when you've got nobody when you've got teams that are just all around each other. Nobody has really differentiated themselves as okay, we are leaps and bounds better, at least in conference play. So it's really going to come down to the wire in terms of seeding for the Sunbelt tournament and just, you know, where final records stand. Well, and also worth saying, Georgia State's not necessarily safely in the Sunbelt tournament. They're in an okay spot. Ten teams go uh, to Montgomery, and they are currently 10th in the standings. So right there on the cusp. But they got a little bit of wiggle room with where the other teams below them sit, but they're still going to have to stack some wins together to secure that. I There's probably still a path to get 10-7 play in, on the Tuesday and 9-8 and eight play on the Tuesday. And so everyone else gets a bye. To the next round and that's that's a single elimination loser goes home situation so just naturally obviously georgia state's going to want to avoid that game but i think more specifically as we're looking to kind of how they're going to have success if they're going to have success in montgomery it's going to be playing the least amount of games just because the least amount of coverage you need to get from the, the pitching staff overall is going to give you a better chance and so i'm not ruling out whatever if they end up as one of the seven, eight, nine, or 10 seeds, but if they can shimmy their way up, avoid that and get a buy. It'll give their specifically with how this season has worked out a better chance of success just because it'll be one less set of nine innings that they've got to find a way to cover. And, you know, it'll move instead of your pitching Ryan Watson on the Tuesday, he's on the Wednesday. And so if you win next day, you know, and so on and so on. So it's still possible gonna have to beat some good teams to do it for sure but as things stand they're at least in the tournament and the opportunity is there to improve their standing and we're not saying that you know it's a guarantee or anything like that that they will move up but i mean sixth place has exactly one two more wins than georgia state right now in conference play georgia state can catch that they absolutely can and i don't know exactly how tiebreakers are going to shake out I haven't done all of the smithing and it'll depend if there's like a three-way tie because then the numbers change. But one of those teams that's one spot ahead of Georgia State in the standings at eight and seven is Troy, who Georgia State swept. So conceivably, they at least have the tiebreaker there if it came down to a head-to-head with uh, Georgia State and Troy. Um, And you still play Georgia Southern. So, and that series is in Atlanta. So an opportunity there for another team that's around where you are in the standings, if that's who you line up with, uh, you've still got a chance to win the series against them and get the head-to-head. Uh, you're out of luck with App State. And uh, South Alabama is the other team right there, and you're playing them this weekend. So without uh, even having thought of that to begin with, that's another reason why this weekend matters, is that this could affect seeding for sure, depending on who wins these three in Mobile Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
All right. That's just about all the time we have this week. Big thanks again to Ben Moore for joining us for a little bit of a emergency podcast on basketball news. But before we get you out of here, of course, we have to talk about everything that's going on in Georgia State Athletics this week. Starting today, as of the release of this podcast, the Sunbelt Conference Tournament for Men's Tennis is happening south of Atlanta in Peachtree City. Men's Tennis taking on Louisiana at 10 a.m. That will be on ESPN+. And then moving on to Friday, we've got softball at App State in Boone, North Carolina at 5 p.m. And baseball at South Alabama for a three-game away series in Mobile starting at 7.30. That game will be on ESPN+. Moving on to Saturday, women's track and field travel to Columbia, South Carolina for the USC Open. That is going to be an all-day Saturday event, as long with women's track and field also heading up the road to Georgia Tech for the Georgia Tech invite. That is also an all-day event. Women's tennis travels to Statesboro to face Georgia Southern at 10 a.m. Softball, again, plays at App State at 2. That game will be on ESPN+. Plus. Baseball in the second game of their series at 3 p.m., also on ESPN+. And moving on to Sunday, women's tennis hosting South Alabama at 11 a.m. Softball, again, playing at App State on ESPN+, Plus at 1 p.m. Baseball in the third game of that series at South Alabama at 2 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. And then on Monday, men's golf heads to Madison, Mississippi for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. That will be a three-day event, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday And then, of course, Tuesday evening, baseball heads up the road to Athens to face UGA at 6 p.m. That game will be on SEC Network, ESPN Plus, and WGTJ-FM 97.5. That is everything happening this week in Georgia State Athletics. Get out there, support the Panthers, and we'll see you again next week for the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Have a great week. Go Panthers!